0: So hello there, and welcome to another episode of the Philosophical Disquisitions podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to Oliver Scott Curry about the nature and origins of human morality. So Oliver is a research director at KindLab. He's also a research affiliate at the School of Anthropology and Museum Ethnography at the University of Oxford and a research associate at the Centre for Philosophy of Natural and Social Science at the London School of Economics. He received his PhD from the London School of Economics in 2005, and his academic research investigates the nature, content, and structure of human morality. It tackles questions such as, what is morality? How did it evolve? What psychological mechanisms underpin moral judgments? How are moral values best measured? And how does morality vary across cultures? And he has developed a theory, along with some colleagues of his, called morality as cooperation, and that's the theory that we discuss in this podcast. So to some extent, this discussion is a little bit of a deviation from the ordinary set of topics that I discuss in this podcast, which have to do with technology and ethics and philosophy, but I do think that they are importantly connected, and I explain the reasons why I think they're connected during the episode. So we do talk a little bit about technology and morality at several points. So I hope you enjoy this conversation, and if you like the podcast, you like what you hear, you please consider rating or reviewing the podcast on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever your preferred subscription service is, and also sharing the word with people who might also like it. So without further ado, I'll hand over to the conversation that I had with Oliver. Okay, Oliver, so today we're going to talk about the origins of morality, and more particularly a theory that you've developed called Morality as Cooperation. Now, just a very broad outline is this this theory holds that all systems of human morality are founded in an attempt to solve some kind of cooperative game in the you know, game theoretical sense of that, that word. Now, I've come across this theory in the past year when I've been doing a lot of research on moral revolutions and the impact of technology on human moral systems and, I guess, the future of morality. And I find this uh, theory to be intriguing and compelling because it seems to say something profound, I think, about the possible forms that human moral systems do take and might take in the future but that's just my gloss on it Uh, let's kind of talk about the theory first and, and why you defend it and i want to start with a very general question here it's kind of a definitional question it's like when when you're trying to explain morality its origins its forms what do you take it that you're trying to explain like what is a moral system to you what does it consist of
1: um, well, uh, thanks again, John, for the invitation to, to come and talk to you about the, the theory of morality as cooperation. Um, yeah, I mean, I treat morality as just another thing in the world to be explained. So I th- think of um, mora- I think of morality as this collection of moral phenomena, of of um, of intuitions, of feelings, of obligations, of concepts, of of rules, of norms, of laws. Um, this whole range this whole sort of collection of uh moral phenomena moral moral objects um and it's and those are the things that we we want to explain and the basic argument is that uh, all of these phenomena all of these all of these traits all of these rules all of these um strategies are on closer inspection all turn out to be the the products or byproducts of cooperative strategies of attempts to solve um, non-zero-sum games in social life.
0: Yeah, and so, I mean, I guess there's an important idea in this is that you're approaching morality, as you say, as a thing in the world to be explained. So it's a, it's a descriptive phenomenon. It's, uh, it's not, uh, as many I guess, moral philosophers might view it, a kind of normative phenomenon or an abstract normative phenomenon. And, I mean, you're not trying to inquire into what a moral system ought to be or like what our system of rules and behaviors ought to be. You're really just looking at what they actually are and, and what people believe morality to be. So it's kind of like a social behavioral and cognitive theory of morality that you're developing, right?
1: Well, n- no, not really. Um, Cause I don't really see how the two things are so different. So I suppose, I mean, one possible way to look at it is, um, you could see attempts to explain what morality is as a as a sort of a meta ethical theory like what what is this stuff and uh, and how does it work? Um, it, it just seems to me that you know which ethical which meta ethical theory you adopt inevitably leads into um, uh, prescriptive statements about what you ought to do. so you know if you if you were to think that um, if you were a divine command theorist and you thought morals were the dictates of God, then your method to try and figure out what God wanted would be, I don't know, wait, wait for divine revelation, or be struck by struck by lightning, or or read all the books. Um, and then you would, depending on what you discovered, then it would follow that those are the things you ought to do. Similarly, if you think that, if as I'm arguing that morality is about cooperation, it's about um promoting the common good in various ways. And that the 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 normative things that we're interested in are are our values and values are an ordinary part of the world, part, part of psychology, and we can study them. Um, if if you accept that account, that meta-ethical account of what the nature of morality, and then you then that influences what methods you use to discover what morality re- requires. And from you know what what moral values are, and then from that account of moral values, it follows the things you ought to do. So I don't I don't see that there is a there is a big there is you, you can get these things muddled up and you can do it wrong, but I don't see this sort of big chasm between um, the descriptive and the prescriptive. I mean you you can just you can describe the prescriptions, and then you're then you're off to the races.
0: Okay, I mean this might be something that we'll come back to later in the discussion but I, I think i i suppose i partly agree and maybe partly disagree with with the point and it, it might kind of re- reveal itself in relation to some criticisms of your theory but i mean i like i would accept the notion that your medical ethical theory your kind of theory of what morality is or what a moral fact is or something does tells you what what phenomena in the world to look at, and this then kind of has a an implication or an effect on your prescriptive view of what morality ought to be and i guess you, you can see that at work in your theory but maybe yeah, we're just all, yeah well i'm sure we'll come back to it to me it's just it's all one big argument
1: and it's not that one part of the argument is completely hermetically sealed from the other part
0: yeah okay that's that's fair enough but i mean we may be just kind of getting ahead of ourselves a little sure, bit sure. because I, people to need to people need to appreciate what the theory is in, yes. in the first place. I, I was interested one thing though about one of the articles that I read about this this idea that morality is rooted in cooperation. You had you know noted the like almost a kind of universal agreement amongst moral philosophers about this idea of cooperation being at the heart of morality. And I, I wonder, you know, how did you come up with this uh, with this theory? Is it, is it partly inspiration drawn from things that you read? And you said, well, they're all kind of getting at the same thing, the same idea. And there's this yeah. notion underlying it all.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, just, I mean, just to recap, so the, so the underlying argument is that
0: morality is all about cooperation S-
1: slightly more technically, I'd say morality is a, a collection of solutions to problems of cooperation that are recurrent in, in human social life. Um, it, the idea that morality has got something to do with cooperation is not not unique to me at, at all um you, you know you can find examples of it in in Plato and Aristotle and you know Hobbes and Locke and Rousseau and social contract theorists all the way through to to uh, rules all I've done really is say, okay, fine um morality is all about is all about cooperation, and if we look to game theory, the, the mathematics of cooperation, we see, you know, that if you want to do this properly, let's, let's use the math of cooperation. And if you do, you see, oh, there's a whole range of different types of cooperation, which explain different types of morality. And I suppose the way I got into it was, uh, I think, it, I think it's primarily reading uh, Robert Trivers on the evolution of reciprocal altruism. So you know there in in that paper and in that work in general there's a it provides a straightforward explanation for uh, for trust and for reciprocity and for um, guilt and forgiveness and making amends and a whole a whole suite of traits um, that um, help to sustain cooperation and and that, that that basic logic of how how to solve a prisoner's dilemma um, how to how to get cooperation going in that context, that's basically what social contract theorists are about. So here's something that moral philosophers had been interested in for a long time. So the nature of the nature of contracts, um, so and had used contracts and, um, and the, the generally the logic of reciprocity to, to try to explain morality. And I thought that was a uh, I thought that was, that was very interesting and and all, you know, on the right lines. And I thought it was amazing that we could. We could go from the, the mathematics to the animal behavior to the human psychology through to the, the traits that philosophers had celebrated as being part of morality. And as I, and basically what, so I was, I thought, well, this is the way to go. And as I followed that up, as I, as I started to read more about game theory and come, and come into, uh, you know, discover that Prisoner's Dilemma is not the only game, there's dozens, if not hundreds, of different games. Um, there's also coordination games and hawk-dub games and assurance games and a whole bunch of other cooperative games, non-zero-sum games. Um, if you just sort of keep pulling away at that thread, you find that you know other games support other cooperative strategies, which then also match up with other, other things that philosophers have celebrated. So um, the theories of, of kin selection explain why uh, you know, humans love and feel obliged to care for their families. And then you have it. Then you have the ethics of care. Um, the mutualism explains why humans and other organisms coordinate to mutual advantage, why that you can often get more working together than you can by trying to go it alone. It's why people, why people form groups and coalitions and teams and feel loyal to them and value their membership in them and all the rest of it. Uh, and then you get the ethics of, of, um, you get group loyalty and the ethics of, of uh, communities and communitarianism, social contracts, uh, obviously, and, and so on down the line. So, yeah, I, get, I guess it was reading trimmers on reciprocal altruism solved one problem, and then I found that you could apply the same approach to a whole bunch of other um, areas of morality and, and, you know, mob them all up.
0: Yeah, and... In- I think this is maybe key to understanding your theory, at least from my perspective, is that you kind of unite a lot of these games that are sometimes viewed as distinctive. Yeah, you know, some people kind of separate coordination games from, you know, standard cooperative games, or um, view hawk dove games as being somehow distinctive as well. But you're kind of well, Orkin selection games as well being distinctive. But you're kind of you're identifying a, a core phenomenon to them all. Which has to do with this, this non-zero-sum nature. So, I mean, I'm sure a lot of yep. listeners will be familiar with these concepts. But maybe if we could just be a little bit explicit about it, you know, like what's an example of a a cooperative non-zero-sum interaction that people have to solve, or problem um, well, that people have to solve? Yeah. Well, I,
1: I mean, a very, a very simple example before we, before we get to people. There was a beautiful paper recently on um, uh, coordination in penguins, and I think this is it's a good illustration. So. You know, imagine you've got two penguins standing by themselves on the on the frozen ice. They're both they're both freezing to death um, by being whilst they're being alone. But all they need to do is one of them needs to take one step towards the other and and you know, huddle up next to it. And suddenly they both they're both warmer than they were before by standing next to each other. So that, so here's an instance where this. This sort of, this tiny move, so the decision whether to be by yourself or go and stand next to somebody else um, is is a matter of life or death for those penguins. But by just, by making that simple move, they, these two penguins have extracted from the universe some additional benefit that wasn't, that didn't exist before, that wasn't there before. They've, well, they've clawed back some, some benefit that would have, you know, the entropy would have grabbed and taken off um, into the world. So, um, there's an example of individuals. If they make a particular decision, they can both benefit. They both come out ahead and that's the sort of essence of a non zero sum game. So in, I mean, crudely speaking, a zero sum game is a, com- is a competitive interaction where, for example, my gain is your loss and, uh, like a game of chess. Um, so if I win, you lose, and I get one point, you get minus one point, and that sums to zero. Um, a non-zero sum game is one where we can we can both win if we both both work together. We we can both come out ahead, and that can be um, in t- that can in terms of humans. Um, sort of, well, sort of, ancestrally that can include um, our distant ancestors, or and um contemporary populations uh you know collaborative hunting as opposed to hunting by yourself um trade trading favors as a kind of um uh you know you're you're unlucky on the hunt today and I'm unlucky tomorrow but if I help you today and you help me tomorrow we both we both survive better than if we'd uh, kept to ourselves um lots of organisms compete for Resources and status, and uh, and mates and territory. Lots of organisms, including us, try to do that. Uh, what I mean, an, an all-out fight can be mutually damaging to us. So we, so lots of animals find um, that. Well, they they um, engage by they fight. They sorry, they resolve conflicts by showing off rather than coming to blows. So they just they show off how by by bellowing or. Um, showing how colourful they are, how how strong and formidable they are, and the and the other party backs down. So the same outcome occurs: the 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 one that was going to win still wins, and the one that's going to lose still loses. But they both benefit by not having a not having a black eye for their trouble. And uh, you see, dominance hierarchies forming all over the place as a way of further reducing the costs of conflict. Uh, and uh, and so on. So we, when we, I'm talking about all hunting examples, but there are there's other ones. But you know, when we, uh, if you and I bring a, a woolly mammoth back to the camp or part of a woolly mammoth, then um, another problem arises: how are we going to divide up the spoils of our of our cooperation? Are we, you know, now are we going to should should we now fight over it, or can we? Di- should we divide the um, the resources fairly? Should we divide it down the middle? You get half, I get half. Um, uh, and, and so on. So, humans have live, been living in social groups for millions of years and they've been surrounded by these opportunities to cooperate, to, to invest in their, their kin, to to work in teams, to trade favors, to resolve disputes, to um, resolve disputes by forming hierarchies or being fair or respecting prior ownership. And humans, like other animals, have. Involved and invented ways of reaping the w- rewards of these different types of cooperation. Um, these different types of cooperation are immensely valuable. Hence we place an immense value on them. And the argument is it's those values that we call moral values.
0: Yeah. I mean, so if we can kind of trace out, as you were mentioning earlier, from the, the logic of the, the interaction through to the psychology and the moral systems that, Emanate from it. So, in essence, w- within these cooperative, coordinative games, like the example of, of the penguins huddling together for warmth, they're realizing a valuable state of affairs through their coordination and cooperation. That they're, they're yeah. achieving something that's more valuable than the the default or the alternative uh, outcome. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so, so this is, this is valuable. But in order to achieve that value, they have to engage in certain behaviors. Um, yeah they have
1: to i mean they have to work
0: together yeah loosely yeah so, i mean it doesn't necessarily mean that they, they each have to do the same thing but they each have a role within that game that they need to perform or a, a duty yeah, a, that in essence within that game that they need to perform
1: and yeah they, well yeah. i mean there's an op there's by behaving in a particular way they they can realize some some opportunity some some um uh, some they can realize some potential mutual benefit um so, and not surprisingly, they would, so it's fairly easy to explain why organisms are motivated to cooperate and why they value those cooperative outcomes. Um, it's only, it's just, a, it's just, you just continue down that line. It's quite straightforward to say why they would value those traits in others, why they would want others to cooperate in, in those ways and why they would re- resent it or, or whatever you want to say, find it aversive or find it negative. If others didn't act in ways that realise mutual benefits, um, and pretty soon you um, you have a a psychology that's trying that has a number of let's I mean it doesn't matter what they call it has a number of cooperative preferences or cooperative strategies that guide its own behaviour and that it uses to evaluate the behaviour of others and tries to promote that behaviour in others and, and um, in, in, on a variety of different dimensions on looking after family and coordinating and reciprocating and all the rest. And and pretty soon you've got, you know, you've got the basis of a, uh, of a, of a rich um, moral psychology.
0: Yeah. Right. I mean, so as you say, like it's, it's easy to see or to understand why all animals would be interested in these kinds of behaviors. We assume, I guess, that penguins don't have the rich psycho- moral psychology the rich set of concepts in terms that we have but maybe they have like a first order variant of some of them some of these moral emotions and moral reactions i'm not i'm not too au fait with the social and cognitive lives of penguins so i might be wrong on that
1: (laughs) no i don't know but um
0: well no i mean just let's
1: put ourselves in the penguin's shoes so there you all, there's a big huddle of you all staying warm on the on the is it the tundra i don't know well up there uh no, down there it's, it's um,
0: Antarctica, yeah, the, the South
1: Pole, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, so there you all are, you know, it's a hundred penguins in a, all, huddling together, just barely holding on. And suppose one of them decides to wander off. I mean, how would you feel about that? That penguin? Um, I'm sure that they, the other penguins, don't like it. And if they had the opportunity, they'd try and um, corral that that sort of deviant penguin back into the herd for 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 his benefit and everyone else's benefit.
0: Yeah, I mean that that totally makes sense. But the point I was getting at is what, what if anything, and maybe there is nothing, no answer to this, separates human moral systems from animal moral behavior. Is it just a kind of higher order recognition or reflection on the norms of behavior? So you have the resentment towards the other for not performing their role within the group, yeah. and, and then you somehow you recognize that as not just being annoying, but as actually being a moral violation. And that's something that we've added cognitively to that engagement.
1: Yeah, I mean I don't I mean obviously there's different was well, two things. One is to say that the the annoyance at other people not behaving in ways that are mutually beneficial and sort of promote the common good. And my argument is that's just what moral, that is what morality is. There's not a, like an extra layer. It's mor- morality is that the, the pursuit of those mutual benefits, and which includes the attitudes you might have to to other people's behave, other people's behaviour. Obviously, humans have a more sophisticated social psychology than than penguins or primates or ants or anything else. It, I mean, the argument would just be that there's there's functional similarities and that they, these organisms are facing similar problems and to some extent adopting similar solutions. But you know obviously humans can um, I don't know re- reflect on those things more they can they can think through the consequences of their action more they can um, one big diff they they one big difference seems they is seems to be theory of mind they can um, they can think about how others might be might think about them about, about their behavior and they can anticipate what other, other individuals might do. Uh, they can use theory of mind to distinguish between accidental and intentional violations of cooperative slash moral behavior. Um, they we can we can um, we can gossip about it. We can we can tell tales if someone's not behaving themselves. Um, and crucially, we can invent new ways of doing things. We can invent new cooperative strategies in an attempt to solve these problems more successfully. And we can we can invent them, we can try them out. And if they work and become part of the culture, they, um, you know, we everyone ratchets up. So this, I mean, obviously, there's differences between, let's say, penguin psychology and us, but it, for, speaking as a true evolutionist, these are on these are, you know, it's a sliding scale. And um, it, it's certainly interesting to think of the, the, the upgrades that we've had, but it's, um, uh, they, it's cooperative, nonetheless.
0: Yeah, I suppose, but this kind of links to another question I wanted to ask, though. Is so, yeah. I mean, I get it's on a sliding scale, and there's maybe different kinds of cognitive complexity or different ways in which we we label and understand the behavior, but it's all basically the same core phenomenon. Do you d- distinguish and differentiate though between different kinds of norms in human society, like so, a moral norm or has to be linked in some way to resolving a cooperative problem or game, whereas Are there other kinds of social norms and legal norms that are just not connected in the same way and are, are they somehow connected to each other? Um,
1: I mean, I, I mean, what's, what's a norm? I mean, I'd say a a norm is some, some sort of shared expectation of behavior and there are, and the argument would be the shared expectation, the shared expectations that have to do with cooperative behavior that that's the that's the set of norms we call moral norms um shared expectations that are not to do with cooperative behavior like i don't know the expectation that you put um you, you put brown sauce on your sausages rather than jam on your sausages i don't know what's that an aesthetic norm or something um norms that are not to do with cooperation are not considered Moral are not considered you know relevant to moral moral. So I mean, one of the advantages of taking this functional view of morality that is an attempt to solve these problems is that it it's sort of indifferent to how these solutions are implemented, and in, and in fact you would expect a, a range you know you'd expect morals to come in a range of different shapes and sizes. so some some morals are you know in, instinctual, some morals are intuitive, some morals are cultural inventions. Some are um, some are socially constructed norms, some are state-enforced um, state, state enforced laws, uh, and and so on. So it just, it's kind of, the theory is indifferent to how they're implemented. It's kind of, it's an empirical question exactly, you know, what these morals are going to be made of. But we, you don't have to choose between them. You would, you would expect them to come in different shapes and sizes.
0: Yeah, okay. I mean, we might be going down a bit of a, a rabbit hole here, but I'm kind of interested in this question. Because it's it's probably true, if we adopt your theory, that there are lots of things that people like I or moral philosophers might call social norms and not true moral norms that are actually moral norms in disguise, maybe. So here's an example just see what you think of it. I recently learned that the kind of etiquette norm for how you hold a, a fork when you're eating differs between European countries and the U.S., so right. apparently the norm in, the, in European countries is that you hold your fork in your left hand and your knife in your, your right hand and you, 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 know, you bring the fork to your mouth with your left hand. Whereas yeah. I, I think in the US, it, you, it, the right hand is used. I guess this is assuming kind of right-hand oh, dominant well, culture or something. Half,
1: so half my family is American. So, they, so the, the, nor, the American norm is you, you, um, yeah, you cut with the right hand, but then you put the knife down and use your right hand uh, for the fork to put it in your mouth.
0: Okay. So, I mean, th- so this is kind of a, maybe this is a norm, I don't know. There's an expectation of behavior, or is it, is it just a repeated pattern of behavior? I don't know. But you could say that, that is somehow linked to a cooperative problem as well, in that it has something to do with group identity markers and showing that sure. you're a member of a group, right?
1: Sure. Yeah, exactly. So, it, the, you know, the, the, it can check, exactly. But the point would be, it only, it's only moral to the extent that it solves some cooperative problem, including marking out your, Group membership. So there's, you know, the, everyone wearing blue hats might just be a, a fashion, might just be an aesthetic norm. But if if those if wearing blue hats becomes a marker of of tribal identity, and suddenly that entitles you to certain um, certain benefits or uh, requires certain duties of you, then it's to that extent that it becomes moralized, that it becomes a moral norm. So yeah, so I mean, any given behavior. Um, and, and that can change over time.
0: Yeah, so there's a, flu- there's a fluidity to this. There's a thing, the, the set of norms that count as moral is changing over time. And some things that start out as purely aesthetic norms can become moralized o- over time too, right?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, but they're...
0: To some extent, um, it's possible.
1: They're, sort of pre- they're predictably fluid because you... It's, I mean, I'd think of it more as you can predict the conditions under which any given norm would become moral. Cons- and and the, and it would be when that when that norm when that behavior um, ended up being you know relevant to solving one of these problems.
0: Okay, I'd, okay, this is going to brings me back to the question that I probably should have asked earlier, but and maybe we could do this as sort of a rapid fire round, because I, I want yeah. to move into some of the evidence you have for the theory and the the criticisms yeah. of it too. But one of the things you do in a few of your papers is you identify either 7 or 4, I don't know which your preference is nowadays, I think originally it was 7, maybe you've reduced it to 4 plus 3 or something like that, Um, kind of cooperative games that are a feature of human society, and if I yeah. name them, and you can correct me on the names, uh, could you maybe give a brief description of it and the kinds of moral norms that, that emanate from these games? So, I mean, the first one you've mentioned a couple of times, like a kinship-related cooperative game, like what is that? So, so that's,
1: so that's the, basically the, the theory of kin selection or kin altruism and the, the, the logic there is that, um, gene, I mean, uh, genes can often get themselves replicated best by helping copies of themselves in other individuals. There's, there's a, um, if they, uh, this gets tricky, but if you, um, so we expect or evolutionary theory expects organisms to. Uh, detect and deliver benefits to genetic relatives, and to and to allocate to sort of reallocate resources um, efficiently across its genetic relatives. So rather than me eating all the pie, <clears throat> if I uh, you'd expect me to give pieces of the pie to uh, you know what to to members of my family, to my genetic relatives, to my kids, um, in order to uh, sort of optimize uh, all of their all of their replication. So we expect organisms, including humans, to, under certain circumstances, to love love and care for their families, and um, those those feelings, those obligations, are expressed as, for example, Confucius talking about the obligation, you know, family comes first, the the obligations people have to their kin. Um, Anthropologists talking about the duty that parents have to care for their kids. Um, There's I, I recently discovered there's a there's a whole philosophy of fam- familism in happens to have a name in in South America of again just of the principle of family comes first. So um, yeah, there, so there's one opportunity where we would expect organisms to be nice to each other, and we, as with all these traits, we find there's good theory behind it. There's there's examples of animal, other animals behaving that way. There's examples of humans behaving in that way, and there's examples of philosophers celebrating this this trait as as one important part of what it means to be more
0: yeah and i think that totally makes sense and would resonate for most people the notion of family loyalty and a kind of duty strong duty of loyalty to, to family what about mutualisms or you know, kind of mutually beneficial exchanges or interactions I, I think you actually draw a distinction between mutualisms and exchange relationships so perhaps yeah, you can so, treat, treat those as a pair to some extent
1: well i mean well, there are different and interesting ways. So mutualism just means um, coordinating to mutual advantage. So it's the basic idea that we we often do better working together than we do by going it alone. Uh, that, that you see that logic cropping up with, the, with our friends, the penguins um, and with other organisms that form herds and shoals and schools for collective defense and other animals that uh, engage in collaborative hunting, including us. Um, and in humans, humans are, um, very, uh, very coalition minded. They, they, they will form groups at the drop of a hat, um, sometimes a blue hat, uh, sometimes unfortunately antagonistic or, or rival groups, um, and favor their own groups at the, at the uh, expense of other groups. Um, and they, so they, they create they humans, create groups, these coalitions, Teams, parties, cliques, whatever—different clubs, different shapes and sizes. Again, they—they um, they feel being a member of a of a club like that is extremely valuable. Um, the, you know, the worst thing that can happen is you can be is, is being outnumbered. So, being being part of a gang is very valuable, um, and so we value it very highly. We value membership in those groups very highly, whether that's groups of two with your best friends or, or groups of groups of 100 Um, we strive to coordinate with our groups Um, when it when it benefits us we uh, we and we resent we we strive to be unified and we value solidarity and we resent individuals that leave leave and therefore weaken our groups uh, especially individuals that leave our groups to join a rival group so again you've got you've got the sort of basic coordination problems you've got Examples of of animals coordinating their behaviour to mutual advantage. Lots of examples of humans, and then you find philosophers celebrating, you know, uh, friendship or loyalty or conformity, um, uh, solidarity, unity as an important part of what it means to be moral.
0: And oh, exchange. Uh, then how does that differ? Is there anything? Well, so ex- the
1: difference. The difference. I mean, the difference with exchange is sometimes called delayed mutualism, and. It's not entirely accurate, but the point is that with mutualism, there's no uncertainty about whether the ben- you, the, there's a return benefit because it's, as it were, it's happening instantaneously. What, you know, one, one penguin can't benefit um, at the expense of the other penguin in that you know, simple example. But if, um, if, the, if the exchange of benefits is delayed or uncertain for some other reason, if I do you a favor, but I, don't, I can't guarantee that you're going to return the favor, then that's a slightly different problem um that's that's the problem that's described in uh, a prisoner's dilemma when you're you're uncertain whether the other person has done their bit has held up their, their part of the bargain um and the way uh, the the basic way we can solve that the problem is to engage in con- conditional cooperation to to only cooperate or continue to cooperate if the other person reciprocates um if the other person re- returns the benefit <clears throat> and then you you know that's the beginning of a beautiful friendship, and we keep on helping each other. That uh, and forwards uh, off down the line. So that's that's the basic logic of, of reciprocity of contracts. Um, and uh, he, humans certainly engage in reciprocity. They're they're particularly alert to, to to cheats who who don't who take the benefit but don't pay the cost. Um, they're motivated to to punish and seek revenge against cheats who don't don't hold up their end of the bargain people feel guilty if they are not able to return the benefit and they seek to make amends and if they're lucky they get forgiven <clears throat> and again so you can find philosophers celebrating different aspects of this strategy as important part of what it means to be moral. whether that's the importance of of trust or being trustworthy of, of expressing gratitude uh, of expressing guilt and confessing making apologies um, and you know, not least reciprocating and keeping your promises and uh, fulfilling your contracts.
0: And so then the, the next kind of category of games, and correct me if I'm wrong, I kind of originally you, you saw these as a group, right? As a, a collective group of games, but I think maybe more recently you've separated them out and they, they all have to do with conflict resolution in some way. So I guess sharing up yeah. resources that might be disputed or subject to dispute.
1: And yeah, so there's a there's a little wrinkle because it, there's basically four games, but one of the games has multiple solutions. Has um, I mean they all have multiple solutions, but I'm just talking about well-established types of cooperation. So let's say there's four games, and the this last one, the hawk dove game, has uh, at least four different types of uh, four different solutions. So you end up with a total of seven different types so it's just a bit easier to say there's seven types and to be clear there that's not it's not meant to be exhaustive these are just there are at least seven well established types of cooperation in in the literature um it's there might be um it's i can, uh it's certainly possible it, you know if we were having this conversation 20 years ago some of these might not have been as well understood or well established and if we have this conversation again another 20 years maybe Game theorists will have got their act together and, and uh, teased out a few other examples of cooperation, which we can then identify in uh, animal and human behavior. So it's not meant to be definitive, but as a, as a kind of back of the envelope um, summary, there's seven types of cooperation. But, you know, Love your family, help your group, return favors, be brave, defer to superiors, divide resources uh, fairly, and respect others' property. So on those last ones, the, the hawk dove game. So that's what I was mentioning before: that organisms often come into conflict over resources, over territory, over mates, and instead of simply kind of fighting to the death over them, there's a range of tactics they use to to resolve conflicts in a way that minimises the, the the costs in terms of injury or energy energy wasted. To the contestants, one way is instead of fighting, is to display your fighting ability, to display how powerful you are, to display how high status you are. And uh, so you and I, you and I might be fighting over uh, <laughs> a Victoria sponge cake. It the first thing that came to mind. You and I are fighting over a sponge cake, and we could we could just have a, a punch up and. Because you're a bit beefier, you would win. Um, but we we both get a black eye, maybe. So instead of doing that, uh, you could we could just both flex our muscles at each other, and I would see that you were beefier. So I would think, okay, discretion's the better part of valor. I will uh, I will back down. I will withdraw. Draw. Um, so then the same thing happens. You win the the sponge cake, and I. Don't, but we, we neither of us have black eyes, so it's it's to our mutual benefit to resolve disputes in that way. Um, lots of animals do that in lots of different ways by showing off how big or loud or smelly or uh, smelly they are, or um, all kinds of ways, and they form dominance hierarchies as a result. That's why you have alpha males and alpha females and all the rest of it, <clears throat> and. Um, so th- on the face of it this looks like a this isn't this isn't not isn't as it were the nicest aspect of morality but it but the the theory would say well it's a non-zero sum game so we should expect this these traits to be valorized too and they are so um, and, and actually David Hume did it best so he talked about uh, he actually used animal behavior examples amazingly enough, but he talked about the difference between um, heroic and monkish virtues so, so the heroic virtues are all of these cues of high status of being strong, brave, skillful wealthy, beautiful, all these ways of showing off showing off how how valuable you are <clears throat> and there's a corresponding set of monkish virtues which have to do with sort of um, uh, to do with submission, humility, showing respect, deference, obedience, fealty, um, and, and and so on, um, self denial, asceticism, um, abnegation, all the rest of it. So you again. So you you start with here's a here's a problem that lots of organisms, including humans, face. Here's a solution to that problem that which generates traits and sort of. Um, high status traits and low status traits, let's say, and lo and behold, you find these these traits um, among uh, you find philosophers celebrating these these apparently very different sets of traits, the heroic uh, versus monkey's traits as as virtues as um, as important parts of what it means to be moral.
0: Yeah, I mean, okay, I, 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 sorry, if I could just jump in on this before you talk about maybe the other examples, because I think this is this might be the one that when i've discussed it with people they find trickiest so the the notion that dominance related traits the heroic virtues they're they're morally good and these submissive traits or monkish virtues they they can also be morally good because they are rooted in a a way of resolving a a cooperative conflict over over yeah. shared resources or potentially shared resources so i think the problem that people have wrapping their heads around that is that nowadays we have this notion of kind of like a flat egalitarian society where everyone sort of shares the same moral status and you don't have those kind of differentiations so we, we almost see that as an anti-moral solution to a cooperative problem uh, is that a problem that, is that an issue you think that you've encountered but i mean if you look at the full sweep of human history and human society it seems pretty clear that these are virtues that are celebrated
1: yeah yeah um well so so first of all it's a theory that explains um traits that have that at various times and places have been considered morally good um it the theory in general doesn't say that you know the the end the end list of moral traits is always going to be identical or let alone um and more importantly they're not always going to be equally equally valuable so if you live um you know if you very crudely but if you if you live in a very unequal hierarchical society where your ability to um, project prestige and defer to, you know, to be humble in the face of um, powerful people, um, if you live in a world in which that's a large part of your social life, then those traits are very valuable, and we'd expect them to loom large in the in the moral systems of those of those cultures. If you live, if by contrast you live in a relatively a uh, sort of less hierarchical society or a A more egalitarian one, then those traits will be less valued. Um, And broadly speaking, that's what we see. That whereas, you know, whereas the the, um, whereas the pagans were all about heroism and and humility, um, the the Christians said, let's cool it a bit and we'll be equal. And those those things are no longer appropriate. And that's the kind of the world. Well, to some extent, that's the world that the that the modern West lives in, but it hasn't always been that way and it isn't that way in the rest of the world. But I mean, even, um, but it's also the case that these are not completely alien concepts. In fact, I mean, a a recent good example of this, funnily enough, was with um, Donald Trump. So everyone recognizes that, well, not everyone obviously, apart from Trump, um, that he ought to have conceded defeat. So he was engaged in a contest, he lost the contest, and he should have, as everyone else does, concede defeat, should have ad- admitted that he lost. Um, the failure to do that, the failure to admit defeat, to defer to the winner, as it were, to accept, uh, accept that he'd been beaten, caused all of this conflict that we've seen the last few months and, and rumbling on. So... So I bet that those those egalitarians that say, "Oh, I don't really, I don't really think of these traits as particularly important." I bet they were they were all thinking that oh, God, I wish, um, I wish Trump would show a little bit of humility.
0: Here. Right. I mean, and okay, I interrupted you there in relation to the, you know, the, so the two other kind of solutions to this type of game to do it. Yeah, so fair division so back, and stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If we're back to the sponge cake, um, so we could just fight over it, and whoever. Uh, Whoever was the most heroic could win it. Alternatively, another way of solving this problem, if it's a divisible resource, we could just we could cut the cake in half. Um, so we could we could divide this disputed resource. You take half, I take half. Fine. And obviously, um, again, there's there's good game theory on that. There's some evidence other animals divide resources, um, uh, not always equally, but they divide resources rather than fight the death over them. Humans are very good at doing that um there's lots of cultural institutions like like literally you know cutting the cake i I cut you choose or let's meet in the middle or let's agree to disagree there's a whole range of of um psychological and behavioral traits we use to resolve conflicts in that way um, and obviously traits like fairness have been valorized as an important part of what it means to be moral too uh, and lastly we could resolve the dispute over the sponge cake by following the rule whoever gets it first keeps it so we would respect prior possession or prior ownership of resources or of territory and again there's good game through behind that there's lots of animals resolve disputes over territory for example by whoever whoever was there first it belongs to them and um i'll back off if i if i see it something's already possessed um and again you know Possession is nine tenths of the law, defence of property rights is an important part and, and, and uh prohibition of theft is, is obviously another important part of uh uh of of many moral codes.
0: Yeah, so I mean the notion of you know calling dibs on something is a kind of core part of our mm. morality mm. too, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, right. I got yeah, who's is
0: this? Yeah, and, and this kind of gets transformed, I guess, into a more formal system of property ownership in you know more yeah. kind of modern legal systems. Okay, I'm just going to And Also, I should, I
1: just say, just to go back to the, the, um, the the, uh, egalitarians not liking the heroic and the uh, monkish virtues so much. I mean, it's interesting. the 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 background argument is that these are all. So here you have that you have a these are all sort of functionally distinct types of cooperation, and the and the argument is they give rise to distinct moral principles and precisely because they are distinct to some extent you know yeah. helping your family is not the same thing as returning a favor it's not the same thing as respecting prior ownership so because they are distinct they can also come into conflict and generate dilemmas where you have to choose between them and you expect people and societies to to vary on how important these different principles are to them and to hence to uh, want to resolve dilemmas in different ways and indeed to judge one type of cooperation um, by the standards of one of the other types of cooperation. So, yeah, um, living, in a, living in a hierarchical world where your success depends on how, you can, how much you can project your strength versus how much you can defer to people is not fair. It's not, that isn't a fair world. Um, so, if you were to judge that world by this different principle you it would come up short um and similarly if if the pagans were judging the the Christian world, um they would think everyone was a bit namby-pamby and um you know what's what's happened to the the heroes of the old days and so on. so um these are different principles you you It's certainly possible to sort of as it were judge one principle by by another. And that's a lot of moral philosophies do involve doing that. Um, but if you stand back and take this perspective, you you don't, as it were, don't have to choose one or other principle. You can see that they all have a role to play, more or less, in you know, in different courses for courses.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that I really liked about the theory is this sense, yeah, that there are these kind of distinctive sets of norms let's say and they can come into conflict with each other they can combine together in interesting ways you've written a interesting paper of kind of moral combinatorics i can use this to understand maybe the the total number of possible kind of systems of morality that humans could develop or systems of norms i I was going to ask a question about that but i think i might skip over it because it's kind of complicated Uh, i did write a short explanation of it on my my website and the paper you've written is pretty accessible too it's just it's a it's kind of a, uh, a complicated idea to, to get into. Uh, what I did want to go on to, though, is to just talk a little bit about the evidence that you found to support your theory, because I know you've done some interesting kind of cross-cultural yeah. studies that support the theory of morality as cooperation. So maybe you could talk briefly about what those studies are and the evidence that they provide. How compelling is it?
1: Yeah. Uh, so, that, I mean, there's, there's a few. So. Uh, well, i don't know where do you want to start so what i mean let's start with a relatively simple one so we um, if if it is true that morality is a collection of these cooperative traits these, these different types of cooperation, then it should be the case that people think that these cooperative traits are moral are morally relevant or or morally good um so one one way that we investigated that and tested that was we we developed um, a, a question questionnaire um, morality, uh, morality is cooperation questionnaire or macq if you like and that just which followed the same structure as as the moral foundations questionnaire so just ask people to say you know, here, how for example how morally relevant uh, are the are these behaviors morally relevant and are they morally good um and we showed yeah, sure enough people people think it's it's relevant whether people are helping their family or helping their group or returning favors or being brave or being deferential um, and um, and they're considered morally good um another um, uh, another way we tested that was by saying, well, you know if um it should be the case that people regard these cooperative traits as moral and do so everywhere, you know, all around the world. So there's a, the the theory predicts that these would be, as it were, universal moral principles. They're not just sort of uh, ethnocentric Western principles Um, that, you know, runs up against a tradition of moral relativism in the papal sciences and in in anthropology. Uh, I lost count of the number of times I would say, well, here, here's some evolutionary explanations of morality only to be told, well, you know, that's just, that's, that's what you say. Um, that's, that's just a sort of a a Western view of morality and other, other people in other places have a radically different view. Um, there, when I looked into that, there's, there's been lots of work on morality around the world, but, um, different studies had used different, conceptions of morality in different measures in different places and it's very difficult to and found some similarities and some differences and it's very difficult to make sense of it all so uh, my colleagues and i went we went to the archives we went to uh, something called the human relations area files which is a big archive of anthropology based in yale and they have thousands of ethnographies um, about hundreds of cultures around the world and we we analyzed um ethnographic accounts of ethics from 60, uh, 60 societies around the world, looking to see whether we could find examples of these, these seven moral rules um, in all these different places. And it's a, it's a long story, but the short answer is we, um, we found lots of examples of, we found lots of examples of these moral rules we found, um, or rather we found, we found about 1000 examples of, of one or other of these cooperative traits being considered moral, and in every case, in 99.9% of cases, they were considered morally good. There was one slight counterexample, which I can, can go into. Um, we also found, once you aggregate all this material by society, we found that you could you could find examples of most of these rules in in most places, um, and there were no counterexamples overall. There were no societies in which any of these cooperative traits were considered morally bad. And you observe these moral. I mean, the, the ethnographic record is not completely saturated. We don't know everything about every culture, so there's certainly some gaps. Um, but there's there's no um, no negative examples, no negative cases. Um, and you can find uh, you can observe these moral rules in the in the uh, in the literature um, with e- with equal frequency around the world. So it's not that they're just in the West and not in the East or vice versa, you find them, you find them all over the place. Um, And it was really surprising to me how unsurprising all these accounts of ethics were, because I thought, yeah, sure, we're going to get examples of reciprocity and bravery and what have you. But there's also going to be some really bizarre rules that will be really interesting and challenging for the theory and have to wrap our brains to see what to make of them. And, you know, despite despite hundreds of despite hundreds of anthropologists combing the world for 100 plus years looking for you know documenting human variation there were no counterexamples to this this basic claim that these basic types of cooperation would be con- would be considered morally good morally valuable
0: yeah I mean, if I can jump back in here because I, th- I think it's maybe useful to link this study to a common criticism of the theory but before I get to that criticism, I just want to give you a chance to talk about what's the one outlier, what's the one ca- oh, apparent one, counterexample.
1: Yeah, there was one um, case where, uh, what was it? They said the anthropologist said um, uh, uh, open theft is considered admirable because it shows the, the I think it was shows the, the bravery of the thief. So this is an example where one of it's kind of exception proves a rule. So. Um, it, it was considered brave to to steal openly, so it was kind of justified in that sense. So that's an example where, um, you know, as it were, one one rule is trumping one of the other rules.
0: Yeah, so it's an, it's, it's an example of a conflict between the different kind of yeah. sets of rules, and yeah. one of them winning out. Yeah. So the criticism wanted to get to this actually cropped up in a debate you had, which has been I don't know if it's a transcript, but it's certainly been written up in to the Royal Anthropological yep. Society journal. Yes. And yes. it's a, it's a common critique of this kind of work which is that it's it's universalist and necessarily reductive in some way because you know you're, you're, you're reducing all human moral systems to solving cooperative problems and because you're doing that you're necessarily leaving something out you're not really doing full justice to the the rich diversity in systems the ethnographic record is being Maybe manipulated mm-hmm. and pushed into these categories that you've imposed on it, yep. and they're not yep. there. It when I read that debate, it reminded me a little bit of a debate which has been going on for decades about you know the emotions. Are there are there six basic emotions, or are emotions just massively cultural culturally variable? What, what's your response yep. to that kind of criticism of your work?
1: Well, they're all wrong. Um, Obvi- so, obviously, of being, course, yeah.
0: <laughs> um,
1: but and also, you know, being. Having a universal theory and a, a reductive one isn't not that's not a critique. I think that's I take that as a compliment. Um, so yeah, so well, I mean, we just it's it was a, it's a funny dynamic because we so you have the theory and you think how can we test it? Let's test it against the um, we're, you know always being told oh, but what about this culture? What about that culture? You don't know about all these all these various people around the world, and I didn't. So I thought, okay, fair enough, I'll have a look. So we went to the art, we went to the anthropologists archive, you know, the, the gold standard of ethnographies, and we read through 600 of them, um, to, to to test this theory to see whether these these cooperative traits were considered morally good, and learn about what they were. Um, well, I don't know what I don't know what more we could have done. Um. And uh, and certainly, any claims to the contrary, anyone who wanted to say, well, no, there there is this other culture that does things in this different way, they'd have to refer to the same body of work to substantiate whatever it is they wanted to say, and they don't, and that, um, or they can't rather. And again, that that debate was interesting because you know we we went into the uh, I was about to say the lion's nest, <laughs> we went into the lion's den there. Because it was a it was a social anthropology conference and, and we stood well I stood up and my colleague stood up and um, presented our work to a, a you know a room full of social anthropologists at a social anthropology conference um, and it was remarkable because I, you know although they huffed and puffed a room an entire room full of the cream of social anthropology couldn't come up with a single counterexample and it was really quite amazing and uh, in terms of the, the variation. Um like I say, the, the the this theory predicts variation. It says there will be variation, um, both in terms of the relative importance of these different traits. You know, the, the, the basic theory says moral values reflect the value of cooperation. And if the value of cooperation varies, then your morals will vary too. Um and that we haven't we haven't directly tested that yet, although we've got some things in the works, but you know, like I was saying about if you live in a hierarchical society or not, or if you live in a, you know, if you live in a society surrounded by kin, then family values are going to loom larger than if you live in a society, you know, kind of modern urban existence when you're not interacting with kin very much. So the theory predicts, says there'll be some predictable variation in moral values. And even even just like in the, even the simplest account of the theory, you already you can already generate an enormous amount of variation so for example if you just take these seven rules and you think okay so different societies might rank them in a different order right so uh, in one society kinship might take precedence over reciprocity in another society reciprocity might take precedence over kinship um if you just I mean there's if you just just do that there's five thousand different rank orderings of these principles so just for, just right from the get go you you can you expect and can accommodate an enormous variation. Um, and then if you add to that, that um, people, it is the case that people in different places have invented different ways of implementing these principles. So um, uh, for, you know, let's say some some cultures have, in, have invented the norm of queuing, the first come, first served, um, Solution to access to a, uh, a scarce resource, and other cultures haven't. So they, they have the similar principle, but in, in one in one place they've stumbled upon this particular this hack that works fairly well. In other places they haven't. So you start to add on additional inventions in different places, and you know that's generating more variation. So the idea the idea that a, a theory that well a theory in general, but this theory in particular is um, it has nothing to say about variation is just is just false so not so the their basic criticism of theory is incorrect and nevertheless they couldn't come up with any counter examples so it was all a bit of a bit of an empty vessel
0: but so i've been mean, just picking up on this idea this criticism i mean, look i i, I guess i'm on your side and i accept a lot of these ideas and i i, I view the the variation as a feature and not a, a bug of your your theory yeah, but I, yeah. I mean is there a criticism here that it's over-inclusive in some sense that it, can it ever be disproven um can, are, you know we discussed that one counterexample earlier on and you can explain yeah. that away because it's actually a conflict between two different moral systems but but because there's so much possible variation built into it is it yeah. possible to disprove it
1: well, hang on. So wait a minute. One minute, it was, it doesn't include all these things and then, oh, it includes too many things. Um, yeah, because I mean, it, it could have been, it could have been the case that there were, when we looked around the world, we found lots of example, we found lots of counterexamples, and we, you know, we looked as hard as we could and we didn't find any counterexamples. examples, but it, the potential to be falsified was there. Um, it, it could have, you know, uh, we could have encountered these examples. It,
0: um, but what would a counterexample be? I mean, just okay, off the top of my head here, and this kind of links to another question I'm going to ask: Is that some people argue that you know, kind of libertarian, maybe Ayn Randian moral theories, the virtue of selfishness, all this kind of thing, are they? They're a counterexam. Are they a counterexample to morality as cooperation, or is it just actually that they are prioritizing a different type of cooperative virtue, maybe associated with? Um, property ownership or something a very kind of strict enforcement of property ownership and strict egalitarianism that they, so like, you know you can't take away from people um, and you, the government can't impose its will on people what, what's your thought on that
1: yeah I, I mean I don't know enough about Randianism to to comment on, the, on, on that in particular but uh, you know I'm just trying to think about sort of count, counter examples but I mean I think if we found if we had found a case where they it was um, that it was considered morally bad to care for your family and morally bad to give preference to your group and morally bad to return favors and morally bad to be heroic or uh, generous and and so on. and crucially, it was considered bad, not because it conflicts with one of these other traits, because every, all of these traits would be, are, can, can be bad relative to one of the other ones if you have to choose. So, you know, it, if it was considered bad to look after your family, and the justification was did not refer to one of the other ones, then then that would be a counterexample to the to the theory. Um, and like I say, there weren't there weren't uh, any with the exception, well, yeah, there weren't any examples of like that. Um, and so oh, was well, the thing about, um, w- one of the other things that th- this, the, this, the, this theory alerts you to is, or, or some the way I sometimes think about it is that I think moral sc- psychology w- it works a bit like a graphic equalizer. So that sort of roughly speaking, everyone has the same dials, but they're set in, in different ways. Um, and like I said, in some, some individuals and in some cultures, the, the, the keen end of it will get turned up high relative to some of the other ones. And in, in modern weird societies, it will be the other way around. Um, but if you think about it that way, you can, you can begin to think about other possibilities. So it can be that you could find people where they were all up high. They were all put up to you know, in the top of the range or other individuals in other places where they were all fairly low down. Where they didn't, where people didn't value cooperation as much as other places. Um, you can also think about um, moral fanatics or extremists, and they're people who, uh, as it were, turn one of them up to eleven at the expense of all the others. So, people who are, you know, fanatically loyal to their group, or people who are fanatically uh, humble uh, ascetic you know they they the self the the self the flagellants the people who take um self denial to an extreme at the expense of looking after their family or or do you know doing anything else so in principle you can the theory um i don't know what's the word makes predicts those possibilities makes it possible or or cap- gives you a way of thinking about those extreme phenomena um and and again bring them into the under the umbrella of the general theory and so the the, anyway the the randians might be an example of that
0: yeah i mean i mean to some extent the the fact that it's not widely accepted and often critiqued as being not morally virtuous might also be kind of part of the problem here right
1: um yeah and they it's not that the thing they're talking about is wrong by itself but it's just it's just an extreme view, and at the expense of everything else. So you're saying about how, what was some of the sort of inspiration behind this? So, de- so like I said, definitely the Chura's paper and the and the Axelrod paper on the evolution of cooperation. But in hindsight, another thing I think helped with the development was that when I was when I did my master's course, everyone uh, John Rules was. All the rage, and we had a whole course on him and, and criticisms. So he he's basically putting forward an argument of of morality as um as reciprocity and fairness. I'm, I'm simplifying, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Anyway. Basically, kind of distributive um, justice idea, yeah, right, whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and he explicitly says that morality morality is about uh, the or justice is about the circumstances of cooperation. And he 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 cites the Trueman's paper actually and. Um, He thinks of morality as an evolved adaptation for cooperation and all the rest of it. Anyway, but his emphasis is he's a social contract theorist primarily, and he's talking about reciprocity and fairness. Um, So in in the course and thereabouts, you then go through the criticisms of, of rules. And one criticism was that, well, morality is not just about reciprocity and fairness. It's also about care. There's an ethic of care, and you read about Carol Gilligan. And then you say then people say, and also, you know, morality is not just about these freely contracted obligations. Um, it's also about the what's how do they put it? The um the kind of organic obligations that arise from being born in a particular time and place and country and the rest of it. So they talk about communities, communitarianism. Um, and the then you read about the virtue theorists saying, well, it's not just about contracts, it's also about um you know, you read the MacIntyre saying it's also about, you know, whatever happened to the ancient Greek virtues of the Homeric virtues of, of bravery and skill and generosity and and, and beauty and, and so on. So, so again, um, so there's a, Rawls is putting forward, a, is emphasizing a couple of the principles and the criticisms consist of, well, what about these other principles? And then everyone, there's a big, um, battle royale between all these different people. And if you, one of the satisfying features of of thinking of morality as cooperation in the round, is that you don't have to pick sides. You can see that they, like I say, they all, there's a common logic to them all. Um, They do different things. You expect them to vary in importance under different social conditions, and you, uh, you don't have to pick one or other at at the expense of the rest. You can see how they all fit together. And have a you know have a, a, a broader spectrum account of the things that we call moral.
0: Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, the, the reason I brought up the libertarian example or the Randian example is just because it reminded me of another very you know, famous moral psychologist uh, with a theory about the origins or foundation—not necessarily the origins—I should say—the foundations of human morality is Jonathan Haidt, who kind of argues that libertarian moral philosophy is a bit weird psychologically in comparison to some of the other uh, forms of human morality now now, one of the things you've written about is the contrast between your theory and moral foundations theory and why you think your theory is a superior theory to moral foundations theory why why is that i mean i suppose maybe start with a a characterization of moral foundations theory and and what the important differences are between them
1: well so moral foundations is similar in that um, or, or the things that in common between morality's cooperation and moral foundations is they, they both think of morality as, as a sort of an evolved, uh, they, but they both take an, an evolutionary cooperative approach to morals and they think of morals as attempts to solve a range of social problems. And Jonathan, Haidt, along with lots of other people say, you know, we'll, we'll agree, will say that morality is yes. Morality is about cooperation. It's about solving cooperative problems um but the difference is whereas morality's cooperation draws on the, the mathematics of cooperation to flesh the theory out and we end up with these at least these 7 types and and so on um moral foundation Jonathan Haidt never did that with um moral foundations theory he um he was kind of shooting from the hip as it were and he read a handful of papers and noted a handful of types of cooperation um types of social problem uh, and that was that was the basis of the theory. So the the, the foundations don't go particularly deep, um, and quite bafflingly to me, the um, the the moral foundations theory, despite being an evolutionary cooperative approach, doesn't include the four main most well established evolutionary types of cooperation. So it doesn't have it doesn't have a domain dedicated to kinship to kin altruism. It doesn't have a domain dedicated to reciprocity. Like it gets reciprocity gets folded in with fairness and which are two different things. And there's no there's no questions about reciprocity on the Moral Foundations questionnaire. Um there's no the Moral Foundations has no domain dedicated to um to kind of heroism, to bravery, uh, to uh, again, which is a the, the sort of costly signaling of altruism is one of the sort of main main springs of um work on cooperation and altruism and stuff over the last few decades. And it has no uh, no account of property rights. Um again, which was one of the earliest um developments in game in game theory on non-zero evolutionary game theory on non-zero-sum games. So it doesn't um it doesn't have family, it doesn't have reciprocity, it doesn't have bravery, it doesn't have property. It's completely baffling to me what
0: um
1: well there you are it's baffling so and it's completely it's a completely unforced error you don't need why on earth would you develop a theory that missed out one of those most important bits so um yeah well, that's what what that's what's wrong with it really what, <laughs> it's um although it purports to be an evolutionary cooperative theory, it misses out the most important bits
0: yeah that's interesting but it is also then a highly cited and engaged with theory and this is Generated reams yeah. of research papers about it, so it's become quite quite influential, despite some of these kind yeah. of almost anti-theoretical well, constance within it. In a sense, like, I'm not saying it, it's not it's not grounded as you point out in this kind of deeper evolutionary theory. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it,
0: um, I don't have a complete explanation for why it's uh,
1: kind of so. Future historians of science will explain uh, the know how and why it was popular but i mean i think one of the reasons is that it um almost almost from the get-go actually almost from almost the original motivation of moral foundations theory was to say something about um politics about contemporary american politics and the difference between liberals and conservatives
0: yeah true Um, yeah
1: um and so it straight away it seemed to offer you know insights into a very important and consequential arena of of human social life and i think i think that partly explains um why why it took off um
0: yeah i mean i also think jonathan hyde is a good you love him or hate him he's a good communicator and he he packages his ideas in a, an attractive way you know with his whatever the righteous mind is these three basic slogans about morality like i can't remember them all you know morality binds and blinds and and so on yeah. <laughs> i can't remember the, the other ones that's the one that i remember because it rhymes so, But he, he's good yeah, at I communicating mean, the ideas and a good spokesperson for it, right?
1: He's obviously done a good job, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, as I say, you, you might like him or dislike him on in, in his theory, but he's influential in that sense. I, I do want to ask maybe just one last question to, to wrap up, and this sort of ties back into my own interest in, in this topic, which is understanding how human moral systems might develop in the future have you thought to an extent about, let's say, the impact of technology on cooperative problems, cooperative games, and do you have any even highly speculative thoughts on on how, how we might expect moral systems to change in the future? I mean, I had some kind of loose thoughts in in this, uh, pa- this article I wrote about your theory, about the way in which technology maybe expands the scope of cooperation, the cooperative networks, maybe increases the the coordinate of problems that we face as a result and i guess some kind of tech some sorts of technology like ai and robotics you might think of them as creating a new cooperative partners and we have to adapt our cooperative norms to suit them do you have any thoughts on this
1: well i not i haven't worked on this directly and i hope we get another chance to talk about about this because obviously it's your area of expertise but my uninformed guesses are that it's, I mean, it's certainly the case that modern technolo- the modern world, modern technology has and will, uh, has created new opportunities for cooperation, for us to cooperate on, a, on an unprecedented scale um, and creates new solutions to those problems. It seems to me that to the extent that those cooperative schemes um, extend beyond the natural range sort of thing, they they go beyond our intuitions and we don't necessarily recognize them as cooperative or we don't recognize them as as moral. So, I mean, if you say, is it moral for person one to do person two a favor and then person two to repay it, you'd think, yeah, that's a good, well done, Pat, pat on the head to both of them. But then if you say, imagine now that happening, you know, a billion times a day around the world on the stock exchange. It doesn't press the same buttons. We don't intuit the same things going on. And even though there's there's a you know the modern market economies are vast interconnected reciprocal schemes, it's almost like it's almost like ultraviolet radiation. We don't even we can't even comprehend it. We don't even see it, um, and we we judge it by other standards. So and similarly, once you have a million people arguing online um some of the inherent dynamics of, of of that go vast go way beyond anything that we're as it were naturally equipped to deal with um but the hope would be that we can invent some strategies we can invent some norms to to um to maximize the benefits of the these new cooperative opportunities and and minimize um the costs um i can will say a couple of things about Robots, which I'm interested to get your opinion on um another one is that there's no it's interesting there's no all that from this from the point of view of thinking of morality as cooperation it doesn't matter what the cooperators are made of, so they don't have to be the same species they' don't need to, they don't need to be made of the same material they need to both need to be you know meat one one could be meat and one could be silicon. Um, it's certainly the case that you get interspecies cooperation, for example. So there's no reason why, um, you know, they, they have to be members of the same species or look similar or, or anything else. So it certainly seems to me possible that was were there to be an artificial agent, an artificial intelligence that was capable of cooperating with us, then we would extend you know it's functionally it would be functionally equivalent to any anything or anyone else cooperating with us and we would extend we would we would treat it in a cooperative way and we would inevitably come intuitively think of it as a moral agent and uh, recognize its rights and try to uh, stop try you know res- respect it and try to avoid uh, injuring it in a way that would cause it to retaliate uh, and and so on so in principle I don't see any Obstacle to us treating uh, future intelligent agents as potential cooperators and entitled to all the same moral considerations as any as anyone else.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I I, I broadly agree with that, and I think um, think there's pretty there's pretty good evidence from some human robot interaction studies, although you know they're always limited in what they can achieve. That suggests that people do kind of routinely apply their cooperative right. intuitions and cooperative mode of thinking to to robots, although it t- tends to vary somewhat depending on the type of behavior or maybe the, the degree of anthropomorphization of, of the robot. And, yep. and But that kind of highlights your point as well that, that previously that our evolved intuitions or frameworks may be a poor fit to some of the features of the, of the modern world. Um, I think we might just leave it there. I'm conscious of the kind of length of the interview so far and i don't want to take too too much of your time but i you know it was great to talk to you about this theory i definitely recommend that people check out the various papers that you've written and your own website and podcast and blog i believe you have as well and so uh, yeah i just really like to thank you for joining me for the conversation
1: um thank you for the invitation again john